Welcome to Creating Kesha, conversations about connecting. In each episode, I get to have a conversation with one of my colleagues about ideas, concerns, issues, and solutions to improving and deepening our marriages. I'm your host, Lisa Tversky. I'm having a conversation today with David Cohn, psychotherapist in private practice. Hey, Lisa. Welcome, David. How are you? Hey. So, David, you and I have both sort of had a focus in working with pretty severe trauma and crisis and difficulties um, in the community, in individuals, and in marriages. And this podcast is really about helping people who are just having everyday issues and connecting and relationship and specifically Mm -hmm. marriage. Um, I think that one of the misnomers out there is that it's, if there's problems, it's all big problems with words and letters and diagnoses. But in reality, there's a lot of people struggling and suffering in their relationships. And it's just sort of a matter of better understanding, better education, better, what would you say? Yeah. Um, for sure. Uh, there's, for, I, uh, you know, I don't know what the numbers would be, but for every person out there that has some sort of uh, an official acronym of a diagnosis or, or marriage that does, there are so many more uh, marriages that are just, you know, regular and life, life can be hard daily, the daily grind. Mm-hmm. And um, so marriages can, can, can sort of wilt uh, under the pressure and under the ordinary routine and, and day-to-day uh, juggling act that each one of us does. So absolutely, such such an yeah, important right. subject. Yeah, right. And I, you know, you said sort of wither. How many of them do you think are ones or, or how often do you think, you know, when you're not dealing with in your practice with people who come in with one of those diagnoses, how often do you think the problem is, is that the, the couple never got off on the right foot to start with? They didn't know how to gel it, how to kind of make it come together. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, when we're talking about marriages within the from community, we're, we're essentially, you know, regardless of which specific culture, whether we're talking about the more Hasidish communities or the more yeshivish communities, but, but we're generally speaking about couples that have not engaged in dating for a very, very long time, um, all the way to couples that have not engaged mm-hmm. in any dating to any significance of any sort. Um, but, but even those that have, you know, what are we talking about? Five dates, 10 dates, 15 dates, four weeks, eight weeks, 10 weeks, you know, in the big scheme of life. And, you know, that's, that's really nothing. Mm-hmm. And um, so couples are coming. And then the engagement is, you know, however long it is, but it's also not a, a terribly long amount of time. So couples are getting married and they don't really know each other uh, on, to any significant degree before. And the process of getting to know each other has to happen mm-hmm. once marriage is happening. And um, right. uh, putting uh, the reality that couples are oftentimes within a year or two dealing with uh, pregnancy and having their first child and starting to build a family, you know, they're, they're really knowing each other on the fly, so to speak, you know, they're, they hit the ground running with starting life. Um, and whether that includes 
uh, schooling for one or both of them or a kolal or starting a new job or establishing a career, you know, everyone's hitting the ground running. So, you know, the idea of Shana Rishona being, being this idyllic, you know, wonderful, uh, peaceful, amazing opportunity for couples that by the time they go into their second year, they have a strong foundation is nice in theory, but for all sorts of reasons, doesn't usually work out that way for most couples. And I think it's good for couples to know that mm-hmm. and for that to be normalized, you know, that people don't feel like it's their marriage that's gotten off to uh, a stranger or poorer start than the average couple. I think that, you know, couples are, by the time they, you know, uh, are, are in the full swing of life, they're still in the process of building a relationship. And I think couples have the best chance uh, of, of doing so when they appreciate that and they know that. Um, and it's conscious for them and right. it's not a shameful, judgmental kind of a thing. It's just an understanding and appreciation that this is how it is. And so how, what do we do with that? You know, and we, we work with that. Right. I, I think that's such an important point um, that, that, that if you expect it, if it's not your marriage, if it's not your spouse, if it's not you or, you know, wherever you're pointing that finger or, or trying to, you know, in your attempt to figure it out, lay blame. If you take a step back and say, there, there's no blame. It's, it's just how it goes. So everyone take a deep breath and relax and know that it's how it goes. Then the possibilities are so much so much more open in terms of figuring it out because that panic or that judgmental, you know, it's you, it's my marriage, it's defensive, it's judgmental. It just shuts us down. I think we have the the shame, the stigma, the judgment on one hand, or what's equally dangerous on the other hand would be just the, um, like the hopelessness, the despair, like, okay, so this is just what it is and it is what it is, as opposed to if we can just appreciate and normalize, you know, this this is a normal process mm-hmm. and we can all get on board with that and, um, and continue right. to build, continue to grow, continue to develop. You know, people have generally speaking, uh, families at a young age. So by the time they're dealing with mm-hmm. the, you know, kids in middle school, high school, even kids, marriageable age, very often the couple is still relatively young in, in the big scheme of things. And right. um, they may feel like they've lived, a full life because in certain senses they have already, you know, in, in terms of the, the family cycle, but, um, but their coupleship is, is still fundamentally relatively young and in need of continuing, continued development. Right. What, what do you think are some of the things that get in the way of people sort of being calm or feeling calm or, or allowing themselves to be calm about um, the process, shall we call it, the process of developing a relationship, the process of trial and error, of disappointment and achievement, of, you know, that growth that's going to include both sides of those coins. Um, what do you think, you know, creates all the, 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 the crisis around it or the yeah, I don't know of a different word, the crisis around it, which then again, you know, closes people up. Yeah, there's probably many factors, probably many ways to go about that question. But one one thought that first comes to my mind is, I think men in general, um, and there's always exceptions when we generalize with gender, but 
men in general um, will sort of own in a personalized kind of a way, like a sense of failure. If they just don't, don't immediately, mm. if they're not the professional husband, the professional, you know, in, in, in every sense of what it means to be a husband in every aspect of life, you know, that they just don't have it all together or don't have it all figured out, or they're not, you know, quite polished in it and, and can personalize that and mm. feel less than about that. Um, um, obviously if, if, uh, if their wife has an expectation as well, you know, and they're sort of giving the sense that, that, right. that, uh, their husband isn't meeting, uh, what's expected. That's certainly not going to help. It's only going to exacerbate that, that challenge, but you know, the ability to really say, Hey, you know, I'm a work in progress. You know, the fact that I got married does not in and of itself indicate that I've got this all figured out or that I'm supposed to have. Uh, I think it would be really helpful for mm. people to be told this, to, you know, by people that they trust and that they're getting guidance from and education from prior to marriage, to go into marriage with an appreciation and an understanding of like, you're in the beginning of a journey and a learning process, and you're going to do this collectively and individually as people and as a couple. And it's okay. And be open right. to that, like be open to the learning, be open to the, I don't know, be open to the, maybe I, I could figure out a better way to communicate or work out conflict or self-soothe. Um, or or mm -hmm. repair ruptures or initiate friendship and, and affection, all these wonderful fundamental right. aspects of, of the relationship. Yeah. So a, a a sense one thing is the the sense that it has to be great, and if it's not great, then I feel like a failure. And maybe men in generals. Um, difficulty with allowing uh, a sense of failure um, or to be in touch with a sense of failure and maybe also their difficulty in being in touch with a sense of vulnerability of saying, I don't know, of saying, I'm not sure of saying, yeah. I don't got this, um, I think is also a yeah. difficulty. Yeah. I, I think that there's, it, it works two ways. It works on an, on an individual way. Uh, on an individual level and also on a coupleship level. So important for people to be able, to, uh, you know, men in particular, but obviously it's true for everyone to really be comfortable with embracing the, I don't know, and the, I'm a learner, you know, and bringing mm -hmm. that into our personal life. Mm -hmm. um, and that it's okay, therefore, to, to own that, you know, we messed up. Um, and obviously it's, it's easier said than done. These moments are uncomfortable, you know, to acknowledge and, and to make an amends. And to own something, to acknowledge mm -hmm. it, to talk it, to talk about it, to hear one's partner discuss it. You know, these things are not inherently comfortable. Um, but if we know that and we know that that's right. okay. Then I think on a coupleship level, I'm reminded of one of the um, things that the Gottmans, you know, the well-known uh, well-known mm -hmm. therapists and researchers on marriages. One of the th one of the things that emerges from their research is that a marriage will succeed to the extent that um, one partner can accept influence from the other. And that, generally speaking, that's right. something that men also need to really learn how to do. You know, the idea of accepting influence, the idea mm -hmm. of being open to, not not on an intellectual level, because I think most people intellectually will subscribe to this, would, would not take issue with this, mm -hmm. but emotionally being comfortable. You know, I think that that's what they're speaking to. They're not speaking on, an, like, in principle that the, the guy believes that he's supposed to accept influence from his wife. I think they mean more uh, on an experiential level. Um, to feel comfortable with the idea right. of being open to another perspective, another need, another way of approaching something. Right. Right. 
Right. I, I think that what I hear from women often, um, one of their struggles is that when something in their attempt to make sure everything's OK or wanting everything to be, you know, just right and just so and not being sort of calm and comfortable and understanding of the fact that it's a process and it's okay if things don't go well, that one of the things that women often do, they fall into the trap of looking at everything that doesn't, you know, go the way it should and say, what does this mean? You know, they kind of catastrophize to some degree things that aren't going well. Um, and it's, it's not that you want to be happy with things that aren't going well, but there's this, what does this mean in this grand way that makes whatever it is that isn't going well mm. so much bigger because it has this tremendous meaning now on top of just whatever it was that happened or didn't happen or misfired. Um, and, and it, it really gets in the way. Mm. I think. Do, do you specifically um, mean what does this mean on on their it, within themselves individually, within their spouse, or within the relationship, or all of the above? Within the within the relationship, I think within mm-hmm. the relationship. What is this, or mm-hmm. what does this mean about him? What does this mean about mm-hmm. the relationship? What what's going to happen here? What's this going to all be about? What's this? You know that there's some sort of um, you know. Uh, fear or anxiety that that gets kicked off. And so that also makes it just much more difficult to discuss just this thing that I was distressed about, because I'm standing back from it in my head, saying to myself, what does this mean for us? What does this mean in our relationship? And there's no conversation really that can happen about, you know, what I was just offended by or um, distressed by or because I'm in my head thinking, what does this mean? Does this mean he's a bad person? Does this mean mm-hmm. that he's not, you know, trustworthy? Mm-hmm. Does this mean, does this mean? And uh, I think that that is the one. Yeah, that I comes think that's interesting. First, what least, emerges is women. like there's for for newlyweds, um, there's a generalized tendency that men need to really have an appreciation of being a learner, you know, and, and OK with learning and understanding and, and developing skills. And not personalizing that as failure or as, as something to be shamed, shamed about. And then for women, it's this um, catastrophizing, this generalized, you know, search for meaning that if they would be able to just appreciate in the moment, it means that you guys are newlyweds and you're, you're, you're stumbling about trying right. to figure it all out. You know, that's what it means. It doesn't mean more than that most of the time. That would also really be helpful. Right. Right. It brings to mind a story. Um, I was doing a training many years ago out of town and um, the one of the people on the panel was this rabbi and he was talking about how he, when he was newly married, he um, came home and, and his wife was out and um, he was rummaging, rummaging around in the dresser and he found mm-hmm. her diary. So he sat down to read it and he's reading the diary and his wife comes home and she flips out and he's sitting there going, what? I I don't understand. And she's like, it's my diary. And he said, but we're married in all innocence. 
And, you know, we can have many different conversations about this in terms of, you know, where everybody thinks the boundaries are and how you negotiate what the boundaries are. But in terms of what we're discussing, this sort of idea of, you know, does she look at that and say, you're no longer trustworthy? What does this mean? This means you're not trustworthy because I don't see things the way you do and you didn't see things the way I do. Does Is that it? Or can I after I calm down, hopefully, say, this is just a non-starter for me. My my diary's just not part of the marriage or whatever the conversation would be. Can there be a conversation? And there can be if I'm willing to say there's another side here or there's something I don't understand or maybe this was just a misstep and there is no conversation that can happen if I now write yeah. you off. Yeah, isn't this the crux of, of of marriage in such a fundamental way? Anyway, you know, much, it's so much deeper and broader than just that example. Like, like it's so much more. It's like an almost twenty four seven kind of an idea that's that's applicable for for coupleship, which is that both narratives, both perspectives, both experiences need to be really held with care, with respect, and with understanding. So in that kind of example, mm. there is the narrative of her feeling the violation of the boundary, the shock of it, the sense of betrayal, the hurt. And then there's his narrative of just curiosity and, and thinking that this is appropriate and, and, and the struggle for both people right. to be able to be bigger than themselves, bigger than themselves, mm -hmm. to be able to incorporate the other's narrative as being meaningful as well. That, that is the secret or one of the big secrets of, of success. Right. Easier right. said than done. Yeah. And <laughs> right. Right. And and easier done if there is curiosity rather than condemnation. Um, that when we bump up against one of our things that we are on completely different pages about, as in that example, um, that we are curious about how we could, you know, be so different and and still be appropriate for each other. Um, and maybe that's part of the panic when I say women start to say to themselves, what does this mean? Uh, you know, they often will jump and right away to, does, now, does this mean mm -hmm. we're not compatible? You know, as opposed to, oh, wow, look at that. We have such a huge difference, even though, we're we're a good couple or we can be a good couple or we usually are a good couple or we you know seem to be compatible in so many other ways and yet we are vastly different here oh wow that's interesting yeah. as opposed yeah. to you idiot yeah I, th I think that also speaks to you know another thing that we know from the research which is the the proportion of just how many positive experiences and interactions a couple needs to have in proportion to those negative, inevitable negative ones, so that there's there's cartilage, so right. to speak, there's buffer, there's something there when when two people are rubbing up against each other the wrong way, that there's something there to enable the couple to navigate that, to get through that with minimal damage and to be able to repair, you know, after the hurt and some time has gone by, you know. Um so that it isn't only right. about how do we navigate the difficult times, um, but it's also about the ever-present need for cultivating, for friendship, for affection, for nurturance, 
for here, for, for fun right. times, for partnership. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's definitely, you know, one of the things the Gottman stress is that you can't just, even when pe- couples come in for therapy, you can't just be dealing with fixing your problems. There has to be an infusion of creating connection, creating um, couplehood, you know, there there has to be positive Absolutely. work on that and not just let's deal with our our problems, um, even in the therapeutic yeah. setting. Um, I know that you are very uh, much an expert master. I don't know what the uh, huh. sensei, I don't know, in uh, me- meditation. <laughs> I'm not really sure what the term is, but um, tell me how you got mm-hmm. into that, why you got into that. Is that related here? I feel like that kind of energy should be helpful to couples in centering themselves and and in this exact task of sort of going with what's here and not not rushing it so to speak am i am i oh yeah i think there's so much there's such richness there um in accessing you know you say meditation but specifically what what i do what i practice what i try to work with and incorporate in my clinical practice as well as mindfulness um yeah and mindfulness can be practiced as a meditation it can also be practiced just as 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 integrating it and ideally that's what it's ultimately all about anyway is integrating it Mm -hmm. into our daily life which is really fundamentally so simple. The hardest part about it is just remembering to put it into into practice, like just remembering. But it's fundamentally about experiencing mm-hmm. the moment as it is. So not just being uh, a human doer in the moment, you know, where we're just involved and engaged in the activity or in our thinking or in our reactivity, as the case may be. But we have an awareness simultaneously to this is what I'm doing right now. This is what it's feeling like for me right now. This is the thoughts that I'm having right now. So that there's some space automatically that's there in that moment for me to not have to be so constantly reactive and rather I could be more intentional. Mm. I could be more aware. And from that space of awareness, I can take a moment and center myself. I can take a moment and pause and think about, is that really the most effective or wisest way to respond to that situation or to say, you know, to use my words. So in the context of a relationship, whether it's um, a parent and a child or a husband and a wife, and really in any, in any, but, but the more personal the relationship, the more valuable, you know, this is to be able to, um, hear the other, I really do need to be in a space where I'm even hearing myself, you know, to be able to take in what's the other person going through? What do they really mean when they say that? What might really be going on for them? What's, what's the stuff going on underneath mm-hmm. the words, underneath the content? If, if I don't have access to, to that within myself, it's not very likely that I'm going to have that kind of access for the other. So, yeah. Right. Talk, talk. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Don't so yet. There's no so yet. I think that that's a really deep um, concept that that you need to say mm-hmm. more about because I don't think that everybody who's hearing it as simple as it's sounding because you're saying mm-hmm. it very clearly I don't think mm-hmm. everyone's getting that because I don't think people think like that they think um, you know and this this educational curriculum that that I have developed for for marriage 
is based on that idea that you can't you can't know your other until mm-hmm. you know yourself. But I think that most people think of working on their marriage as starting with other. Mm-hmm. First, I'm working on my marriage, so I have to focus on you now, right? And I don't think they really get that it cannot start mm-hmm. with the other. So tell me more about how you see that, because I totally see it. But I, I want you to expand more for the for the listening audience on mm-hmm. your yeah, I, I mean, even if we take out the relational equation for a moment and we just look at this from a personal perspective, so we just go through life and much of what we do is fundamentally habituated. We, we develop habits, we develop routines. We're highly predictable, way more predictable than I think we'd like to admit, you know, as human beings. Um, you know, when I used to work clinically with parents, um, you know, around concerns about a child, I would say, let's let's actually predict what the week is going to look like. And they'd be surprised to see that usually at least 95% of what happens, they can actually predict. It, you know, we our life is fairly predictable. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we go through our ways of thinking and our ways of perceiving things and our ways of looking at things and our ways of looking at ourselves. And then we just keep on perpetuating that irrespectively largely of whether that's actually what's most helpful for us or most skillful or what feels best or what is most wholesome mm-hmm. for us. Mm-hmm. And then here and there, we know that intellectually and we try to work on it. But when we try to work on these things from an intellectualized place, you know, they say there's an expression, I don't know who originally coined this, the distance between the 12 inches between the head and the heart is the longest distance in the world. So what I'm referring to is not knowing it up in our head, you know, on an intellectual level. It's about really being able to be in touch with what's going on in the moment experientially. What's actually unfolding inside me, in my body? How's it feeling? How am I reacting internally? How am I reacting mentally with the thoughts that I'm having and emotionally? And being able to, um, these are things that are skills in the sense that we can learn them and then we can become better at them. Um, Mm -hmm. So nobody's born knowing how to cook. Nobody's born knowing how to ride a bike. Nobody's born knowing how to tie their shoes. We are taught these things. We practice these things. Then we we acquire skillfulness with it. And so these things are also Mm -hmm. skills in the same way. They're just not skills that are typically taught and identified that way unless we stop and we talk about it. So once we have that and we right. have a way of being able to a way in so to speak a way into ourselves to be able to say hey i have a sense right now of what's happening for me you know and how i'm experiencing this moment mm. so when i'm when i have access to that and of course when i'm being reactive because i'm upset because i'm scared because i'm threatened because i'm stressed because i'm overwhelmed because i'm tense i'm going to have a lot less access to any of that stuff i'm going to be much more caught up in my reactivity um Mm -hmm. and and we're all going to get caught up in reactivity it's not like somebody can be mindful 24 7 we're we're human beings but we can acquire the more skilled we are with it the more often we can be mindful the more easily we can remember to be mindful again we can return to that kind of an awareness but essentially it's not just awareness in the head it's awareness with the heart it's a it's a way of being in relation with ourselves 
We often don't, mm-hmm. don't think about that, but like we're carrying us around 24 seven and we're not in relation with us unless we stop and we look at that and we say, what does that mean for myself? What does it mean to be in relation? How that, that voice that, you know, that we all have in our head, that's doing our thinking, the narrator, the, what's the tone of voice? What's the choice of words when we're thinking about ourselves? Is it harsh? Is it critical? Is it judgmental? Is it, is it quick to react? Does it give myself the ben- Do I give myself the benefit of the doubt? Being, being able to become mm. aware of that internally and cultivating a more relational way of being is what I mean when I say then it's so much easier to bring that into the relational space with another person as well. Right. And and how many people do you, I mean, like, do you think that this is common, that people really are in that space where they're getting themselves, where they're understanding that where they're even even understanding that they have that there's nuance to their feelings it's not just you know angry sad or happy there there's nuance there's why that's coming there's where it's coming from why it's coming from what what makes it come up now um, yeah, there's there's nuance to what we know. experience uh, emotionally and texture to it and and there's Big, big family emotions. And then within that family, there's many emotions that are within that emotional family, right? The family of sad, the family of angry, mm-hmm. the family of happy. And um, there's also nuance in what we feel in the body, you know, how we experience a moment mm-hmm. in, on, a, on, a, on a visceral level. In a physiological sense, there's nuance there, too. And it's true. Some people are just more naturally attentive and aware just dispositionally, you know, their nature um, lends to that awareness more. Um, they're just more emotionally aware or they're more connected to their body. Um, and many people aren't. It's not what's what comes natural to them. But that's what I meant when I talked about the idea of skill. These are things that ultimately we can learn more about. We can we can learn more words for them. And this is no longer just a conversation about mindfulness itself. Really, it's 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 a. It's also a conversation about um, interceptive or, you know, inside the body awareness, like what's happening inside me. I, I usually refer to it as what's my internal atmospheric conditions like, you know, what's the weather inside me right now? Right. What's yeah. the, what's the yeah, climate? You know, is it raining yeah. now? Is it mm-hmm. stormy? Is it calm? Is it settled? Um, <clears throat> and how and where in the body and emotionally. So we're talking about emotional literacy now. We're talking about getting right. more connected with our own embodied sense. But you know, what, what's going on, not just in my head, but also below the neck. Right, right. And and how does that all affect me and affect how I relate to others or how I relate to a specific yeah. uh, incident or, um, you know, interaction with somebody else or specifically with right. my well, spouse? And I no, but yeah, I was just going to say, you know, people get so caught up, especially within the context of a relationship in the content level, you know, but it's not it's the issue. It's the it's it's how it's what he just said. It's, it's how she just said that when in reality, what they're really saying is it's how this made me feel just now. You know, it's how I experienced this. So right. if we can bring a, a greater awareness to that and we can place a greater emphasis there of what's, what am I experiencing? What are you experiencing? Mm-hmm. And being able to bring that into the conversation along with the content, obviously the issue at hand is relevant and valuable, but most right. of what's going on for the couple in terms of when they're happy and when they're not happy uh, is, is the experience mm-hmm. of the content. It's not just the content. Right, right. 
Yeah. How how can someone kind of what might be some little I don't know exercises or or tools or pointers for how someone can start to um, get mm-hmm. more in touch with all of this with that kind of centered, experienced space, so that they can work on that, and and that will then in turn help them work on interacting and being aware right. of other sure better so. Um... So I'll offer a couple of uh, it, what are called informal practices in the sense that, you know, I'm not talking about someone officially sitting down and giving any great amount of time to a formal meditation practice, which is obviously one way of cultivating this is really giving it some time and space in a formal way. But even informally in, in life, there are there are these quick, um, really valuable ways of uh, of connecting and cultivating. So one would be. Uh, they call it the acronym STOP, S-T-O-P. So S stands for just stop, just stop for a moment, whatever you're doing, pause. T stands for take a breath. And we know as therapists that take a breath really is about the out-breath. It's about when we exhale. It's not about the inhalation. So the nervous system, when we inhale, is preparing for fight or flight. And we relax, the body is able to loosen and relax when we breathe out. So we take a breath in in order to take a breath out. And that should be the emphasis, right? The awareness of that. Take a breath in in order to have a nice, long, slow, deep breath out. And then O stands for observe. And observe means just take a look inside yourself. So what am I thinking right now? What were my thoughts? And what was I thinking? What was I feeling right now? What were, what were my emotions? See if I can identify, uh, put a word or two to it. Just a word or two, not, not creating a whole narrative about it. And what was I feeling in the body? Did I notice? Mm-hmm. Can I notice anything right now? Um, and that could be comfortable, uncomfortable, pleasant, unpleasant, easy, difficult, painful, pleasurable. It's not about what it is. It's just about being aware of it. In other words, we're not looking, we're not aiming Mm -hmm. to have a particular feeling or particular, uh, emotion. We're just looking to be aware. And then P going back into the acronym is proceed, you know, just keep on going and just practicing that a couple of times Mm -hmm. throughout the day really trains the brain. You know, we have actual you know, neuroscience has evidence of this. There's solid research behind this about how mm-hmm. we can literally successfully train the brain and rehabituate ourselves to increase in our self-awareness. Wow. What I, what I really like about that is that I think that one of the things that gets in the way a lot in relationships and in connecting is when we don't take enough responsibility for ourselves Mm. in the relationship. We're looking to other, what they did, what they didn't do, what they could do, what they should do, what they are making me happy, aren't making me happy. And there isn't enough taking responsibility. And that exercise, you know, kind of does double Mm. duty in my mind. One, it helps increase your mindfulness about yourself, but it also serves to redirect you to self. Like you, you take responsibility for yourself in a relationship. You, it doesn't work to, you know, be looking to your spouse to take responsibility for you. Yes, they have certain responsibilities to you and vice versa, but you have to take responsibility for you in the relationship. Nobody else can 
um, calm you down, so to speak, in that in that way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like you have to be aware, you have to know, you have to understand your feelings, you have to understand what's going on for you. And so it, it, to me that mm. it does two things when you, when you right. practice yeah, that. That makes sense to me. It, um, it, it brings to mind the, um, you know, the way I sometimes will phrase this when I'm working with someone and we're talking about their relationship or I'm sitting with a couple, you know, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be happy? And if you have to choose between the two, Right. You know, what are we going to choose? So in looking at what what's going on for me, it's not that someone else is not responsible. Mm-hmm. It's not that someone else is being let off the hook. It's not that what someone else did or said is not relevant, but my starting point is me. And, you know, right. the other person's starting point needs to be them. Right. And then we're better set up for having a productive conversation because I'm going to be starting with me. I felt sad when I felt insecure when, as opposed to if I don't know what's going on with me, all I'm left to do is blame and right. Or my head is making up, and you know, my head is making up that you know I'm thinking that you know, and being Mm -hmm. able to own that these are my thoughts. These are this is what I've just experienced. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and if I don't have that available because I haven't spent time getting to know me or getting in touch with me, all I have available to me is to blame and finger point and nothing good comes from that. Nothing productive, I should say. Yeah. That's a lot of food for thought. I I really appreciate this conversation, David. Um, We kind of went to a bunch of different places and I, and I think that they all, came together and gives people a direction for thinking about how to improve their own emotional intelligence and their own centeredness and their own ability to stay centered. And yeah, I think another really beautiful thing that um, we can take from the, the mindful practice is that the reset button is available the moment we become aware that we want to press it, you know? So I wasn't aware, I wasn't tuned in. I wasn't, I wasn't really aware that this is what I was thinking or how reactive I was being. Oh, but now I realize that, right? So now I've, I've returned to this awareness. Okay. So then right now, the moment I become aware, this potential opens up again of being able to just have this awareness in the moment. And don't we need that in our relationships? Also the infinite potential of the reset button to be able to again, press the reset and again, come back, you know, and again, repair again, try again, revisit. Right. Right. And if both are engaged in that, there's a lot that people can take care of, you know, on their own. And obviously as a PSA, if both aren't or there just seems to be getting nowhere, then then there is professional help. Um, but if both are really committed and can stay open like that, um, I think there's a lot of people can can do to improve yeah. their connection. Yeah, absolutely. You know, ultimately relationships have infinite potential, infinite possibility. Mm-hmm. And the willingness to yeah. turn towards that yeah. unknown. Um, I think that's another occupational hazard of relationships over time is that we fall into the trap of, no, there isn't anything more to know. You know, I know right. my spouse. 
Right. Uh, we do the same thing with ourselves. I always enjoy my conversations with you, and I enjoy so this one immensely. You're very so welcome. Thanks so much. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks. Have an issue or question you'd like discussed on the show? Email me at creatingkesher at gmail.com. See y'all next time.